0: Let's play one round of Final Jeopardy. The category is the third chapter of John. And the answer is verses 7, 14, and 30. (laughs) I'm not going to go through the whole thing. The correct question is, what three verses contain the word must? M-U-S-T. Now, I've read John chapter 3 numbers and numbers of times, and I've read these three verses numbers and numbers of times, but somehow, for some reason, for a long time, it never connected with me that these three verses had this one thing in common. They all contain the word must. Now, I know that we are all probably tired of hearing this word must. Must. You must wear a mask. You must social distance. You must keep your gatherings small. And on and on and on and on and on. But, you know, we're getting word now that at least some of these musts are being relaxed. and. Um, even some predictions that they're all just going to go away. However, there are some musts that will never be relaxed or disappear. And these three verses, in John chapter 3, verses 7, 14, and 30, are, a, are vitally important in the foundation for the Christian life. Now, you know, I looked up the Greek word for "must." You know how, in the Greek, sometimes there's little nuances and 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 in the word that we have a hard time translating into into English, and sometimes it may be a little different from you know the way that we that we translated into the word, but I found something very interesting. In the Greek, the word for must meant must. (laughs) There was no softening. There was no diluting of that meaning for that word. It meant imperative, it meant necessary, it is a dynamic, energetic, forceful, and powerful word that expresses a command or a purpose that cannot be evaded, it cannot be avoided, but it is obligatory. And it is required to be acted upon. Now, I'm going to take them in a little different order. I want to look at verse 14 first. It says, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, why did Jesus come to earth? Well, it wasn't just to give us a holiday to celebrate in December. I can tell you that. As a matter of fact, we celebrate it, all right. And we celebrate it regularly whenever we take communion. We proclaim the Lord's death. And about three weeks, we will celebrate Good Friday the day that we celebrate his death on the cross. Though I'm of the particular opinion that he was actually crucified on Thursday to meet the qualifications he said, three days and three nights in the tomb. Then, after that, we will celebrate Easter, the day of his resurrection. So the imperative, the must, in this verse is not directed at us personally. But it is one that will impact us directly. See, Jesus is the one under the must here. Under the command, under the order that necessitated the action. And notice the stress that he laid out here. The Son of Man must Be lifted up. But why? Well, in John chapter 3, beginning at verse 14, he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son That's the reason That's the why And I know that we read and probably have memorized John 3:16 But When we read it, it says God so loved the world. And generally we look at that so as the extent and the expanse of God's love for the world. But the Greek word actually means so in this way. Referring to what precedes it. So God in this way in this manner what manner the lifting up of the son of man love the world that he gave his only begotten son god in this way showed his love to the world by the lifting up of the son of man so jesus was not under an imperative from man His was an imperative from God. And we must look at this in relation to the entire verse. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake, or if you grew up on the King James Version, the serpent, in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Jesus used something from Israel's past. And remember, he was talking to Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish council here who had come to him inquiring and asking questions to help him to understand and to introduce God's plan regarding judgment and salvation. In the book of Numbers, chapter 21... Starting at verse four, he says, they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way they spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. What miserable food were they talking about? The manna from heaven. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned. When we spoke against the Lord and against you, pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. And anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake, put it up on a pole. Then when he, when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Now, God could have sent most any kind of judgment. It just makes my skin crawl to think of snakes. I just, you know, I, that's the reason the devil's pictured as one. <laughs> but the thing is, these people were in rebellion against God. And it was by God's grace that he sent the manna to them. And I preached a sermon early on back when we were at the Y about the manna and and how uh, it it could be used in so many ways and different ways and to minister to the various tastes of others. But they rejected that miserable food. And by basically spurning that food. They were spurning God's grace. And God sent judgment. Now I know that people don't like to hear about a God of judgment. They want to hear about a God of love. But folks, you can't have one without the other. He is both. And as a parent, I loved my children with all my heart. But there were times when I had to be judge, and sometimes jury and executioner if you get my drift. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But there were... Were, were those times. I didn't like to do it. But it had to be done. But when they asked for help. When these Israelites asked for help. God. Who was judging them yet in his love. Had a way to free them. From the judgment. He told Moses to make a snake and to lift it up on a pole. And when anyone would look at it, they could be delivered. They could be healed. Now, to me, that seems foolish because the last thing if I were there that I would want to see was another snake, alive or bronze or whatever. And whether it seems ridiculous to us or not is beside the point. It was God's way. And it had to be accepted if they were to be freed from judgment and healed. That serpent on the pole was a symbol of sin judged. The Israelites were healed and they were delivered from judgment. That they had upon them because of their sin. It was not the snake that brought the healing, but their obedience to God's direction. Folks, this world is under God's judgment. You and I, because of sin, come under God's judgment. But God provided a way of deliverance, not a snake on a pole, but a man on a cross. And when Christ was lifted up, he took our sins upon himself. He took our judgment upon himself. Sin was judged and its power was defeated. And when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew the anguish that comes from judgment, but it was necessary. We are under judgment from sin, but God does not want us to suffer that judgment. And he provided the way through Jesus to be free of judgment. Just as the Israelites were delivered from the judgment on their sin by looking at that snake on the pole, we can be delivered by looking to Jesus and his death upon the cross. And it was a must for Jesus. It is God's way. It's the only way. Now in verse 7, he says, you must be born again. The whole verse says, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born Again, Now what does this mean? Well, in explaining to Nicodemus, he says there are two births, the natural birth of the flesh and the spiritual birth. And that comes when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. In verses 5 and 6, Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God Unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. So he says the you're born of water, the, the, the fleshly birth. You're born of spirit, that which is the spiritual birth. And this as I said, it was part of a discourse that he was having with this Jewish leader, Nicodemus, and it goes through verse 21 of John chapter 3. But Jesus said, you, and that, that word you in the Greek is a plural you, not a singular you. So he wasn't t- just talking to Nicodemus and saying, this is just for you. He was talking to you, plural cannot see the kingdom of God unless, and then he says, they are born again. Verse 3. In verse 7, he adds the imperative, the necessity that cannot be evaded but is obligatory. You must be born again. You say, well, uh, pastor, I know that there's lots of sinners out there That need to hear this. But this morning you're preaching to the choir. After all, we're here in church. Or we're watching online. And I'm good. And I hope that we all are. But unfortunately there are some who sit in church week after week. And who feel that they are all right, But they have never obeyed the command. That you must be born again. Sitting in church does not make you a Christian. Any more than standing in a garage makes you a Rolls Royce. (laughs) You must be born again. These Israelites couldn't be delivered by going into the tabernacle. They could only be delivered by looking at that snake on a pole we can only be delivered by looking at Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, our salvation. Well, what does this mean to be born again? It means that we accept the fact that God provided the only means of deliverance and salvation. It means that you believe in Jesus as the son of God. It means that you by faith believe and accept that his death on the cross is the only means of deliverance from the judgment of sin. It means that you confess that you are a sinner, that you repent of your sins and you accept Jesus Christ as your savior. It means to pay heed to and to accept God's divine imperative that you must be born again. It doesn't matter how gifted or refined or moral you might be. These things do not relieve you from the responsibility or the consequences. You must be born again. You can't attend church enough. You can't do enough good works. You can't give enough. You can't get good enough. You don't do these things to get a relationship with God. You do these things because you have gotten a relationship with God. You must be born again. You can't rack up enough credits, bonus points or brownie points. You must be born again. If you've not done this already, you're not in a position to please God. You're spiritually impotent. The only way to develop that relationship with God is by obeying his command. You must be born again. Now, I'm going to stop here. It's a little unusual because I have one more point to go, but I feel that we need to do this right now. If you've never been born again, whether you're sitting in this building You're sitting, watching us online, wherever that might be. But you have never taken that step. Or or maybe you're unsure as to whether you are or not. Or or maybe you have, but you, you may be carrying some sin in your life. Pray this prayer with me. With all sincerity. Mary, let's just all pray it together. Father in heaven, I confess that I am a sinner and am under judgment for my sin. I accept that you have provided the only means of deliverance and salvation. I believe in Jesus as your son and accept his death on the cross as the only way for forgiveness of sin And deliverance from judgment. I repent of my sins. And ask your forgiveness. I accept Jesus as my savior. And want him to be the Lord of my life. Thank you Father. Amen. Now if you said that prayer. Here or wherever you are. And you meant it. You have been born again. Now you need to let someone know. Confess it to someone. What you've done. If you're watching online, type a a message in there and let us know. Someone will be in touch with you. But you need to let someone know. Confess to somebody. What you've done Romans 10, 10 says, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Now, verse 30. He must become greater. I must become less. Again, if you were raised in the King James version, he must increase. I must decrease. John the Baptist is speaking here. Now, if you want to know in a nutshell what it means to be a Christian, whether you were born again just a few seconds ago or have been a follower of Christ for many years, John gives us here a clear, concise, and decisive summary of what the Christian life is all about. This is not just one man applying it to his own life, but it is a prescription for success in all of our lives as Christians. It recognizes the lordship of God over our lives and prompts us to give place to his will in our lives. Now, if anyone had a right To be temperamental and stubborn. It was John the Baptist. John had so much going for him. He walked in the spirit and power of Elijah. He ended 400 years of heaven's silence with the cries of the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was paving the way for the Messiah. His ministry was still effective and his crusades were teeming with people and having great results. He was Billy Graham before there was Billy Graham. (laughs) But he knew his place. He knew he was the messenger, not the Messiah. He knew he was the voice, not the victor. John had more credentials than any of us will ever have, yet too many times we do not follow his example and take his formula and apply it to our lives. Too many times we are like a spoiled child who wants to have their own way. We have to learn to dismiss our will for God's will. We have to Not become so strong-willed that God's will has little chance in our lives. For the Christian, this is not an imperative that can be stressed too much. He must become greater. I must become less. He must increase. I must decrease. If you want success in your Christian life, this imperative must be lived daily. Forgiveness, love, patience, joy, any other Christian virtue that you might call to mind hinges on this principle that he must increase, I must decrease. And when we do that, these things will manifest themselves in greater measure than we could have thought possible. If you're not having success in your Christian walk, if you take inventory, you will probably find that This issue is at the very core of the problem. That you're not allowing him to increase while you are decreasing. You know, we just finished that study on hosting the presence. If you truly want to host God's presence... One takeaway that I had from that book among many was that he must increase and I must decrease. So, there are three great biblical principles in John 3. One key word, must. The Son of Man must be lifted up. He was, you must be born again. I pray that you have, he must increase. I must decrease. I pray that you are Lord, sear these principles into our conscience. We're thankful that Jesus followed his imperative and must. May we do the same for the other two. Bring them to our heart. Bring them to our mind. And let us live them out. Every day. In Jesus' name. Amen.